Don't you love the line to that song, the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Praise God. Come Holy Spirit. As we walk through the series of messages, uh, looking at what's on the other side of yes, today is a side, a message that many of us are fearful of. And if we're really honest, we spend a large part of our lives on the wrong side of yes. And for a variety of reasons. And we'll hear some of them today. But my hope today is this, that after looking at God's word and understanding what Jesus did for us and what he prayed for us, that we would spend more time on the other side of this yes than we do regularly. And that it would become a pattern of our lives that this is the way we live because this is the way God wants us to live. It's the other side of sharing. The other side of sharing our faith. And as soon as you begin to talk about evangelism or sharing your faith, there's a whole list that some of us come with. I can't, I can't do this because of this, because of that. Instead of saying, Lord, help me get to the other side. And there's only some things that he can teach us on this side that are so incredibly good for us. This past week, our men's ministry here, Fight Club, had a challenge. And the challenge was presented to us that we should take John 3.16, the verse itself, memorize it, and then take this verse to the community and go to a stranger and say, hey, I have this verse, John 3.16, and I've been asked, I'm with a group of men, that I'm asked to go up to someone and share this verse with them. Can I share this verse with you? So all over this past week, it ended Wednesday, Hundreds of men went out and they were canvassing their areas where they worked and where they lived and they were looking for strangers, people they didn't know and they would go up to them and say, I have this verse, I'm part of this group of men and I'd like to share it with them. What I found to be really interesting in my own statistics as I was watching the stories unpack on the Fight Club app, that almost 65% of the people that shared with someone, the person that they were sharing with had never heard John 3.16 before. 65% of people had never heard John 3.16. And then I began to calculate, but that's very true of society we're in, that a generation is coming up through that does not even know the Word of God, nor does it even understand the Word of God. In our community, we have 100 to 150,000 of unchurched people that don't declare home, so it made sense to put all those together. But it breaks my heart to think that people don't know. So all over the week, guys have been sharing and stories have been coming in where for the first and maybe the second or third or fourth time, people have been hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was on this mission too. And I prayed strategically this week. It's a lifestyle I try to live. I try to be on mission and I talk frequently to people that I don't know about Jesus. But this week I prayed this prayer. Lord, give me someone this week who, has, who isn't saved and doesn't know John 3.16. Lord, I, I, I want to have that conversation and be, be able to present it to them. So all through the week I was looking and listening to the Spirit and saying, hey, go, stop, speak, whatever. And on Monday night, Ann and I were heading down to Warsaw, Indiana. Um, I wanted to get a wallet, and we were going to make a stop at Kohl's and then, or, or TJ Maxx and Kohl's. So we walked into TJ Maxx. So I'm looking, I'm listening. Whether I turn to my right or left, my ears will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it, Isaiah 30, 21. And so I looked at the wallets, nothing was there, and a conversation never lended itself. And in my mind, it was going to be an adult man that I would talk to And so I had already pictured this conversation. So we left there and I said, let's ride down. We went down to Kohl's and went into Kohl's and we looked at wallets there. I couldn't find one that that 
was to my liking. And I also wanted to get a stool, a plastic stool for one of our rooms to be able to stand on. So I said, let's ride down to Walmart. So I went on down 15 towards Warsaw, pulled in the parking lot and went back into the section where the ladders were and we found a stool. And we're working our way up front to the self-checkout and I actually laid the stool on top of the counter ready to hit pay or to get it scanned. And then I said, oh yeah, I was supposed to look at wallets. And I'm glad... When you're 56 years old, sometimes you forget what you're supposed to buy. Some of you understand where I'm at. But I'm grateful the Spirit reminded me. So we walked back, and we walked back in the wallet department looking. And as I'm standing there looking at the wallets, I looked to my left, and this young boy came walking up. Soon come find out his name was Skyler. He was an eighth grader. He went to Edgewood Middle School. And I knew that this was the guy. He was looking at the wallets. That this is the guy, the Spirit saying, this is the guy to talk to. So we began talking, conversing with him, asking him questions. And and I, I, I asked him or in conversation um, where he went to school, if he, what he thought about Jesus and what he thought was on the other side. He said, you know, I've been thinking about that because recently my dad died two months ago and I wonder where he's at. It was a perfect opportunity to present the gospel to this young boy who was standing there, who wasn't in a rush, who didn't seem like he cared if he stood there 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So we continued to talk. And then I shared John 3.16 with him, explained the gospel to him. Anne was with me. She interjected. And we're having this conversation with this 13-year-old boy. And it finally came to a point where I said this to him. I said this, there will come a day. I said, if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. There will come a day that you'll have your head on the pillow at night or maybe you'll be in a hopeless situation and you'll wonder this. How do I get to the other side? What's on the other side? Is there a God? Is there heaven? And how do I get there? I want you to remember that you met this weird guy in Walmart by the name of Jim and you met him at the wallets and he told you this. I said, I don't care if you remember anything else. Please remember this. I said, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And if you trust in him, you can have an eternity in heaven. And so I left that with him and then I, we left there and, and, and walked out and paid for the stool that we had. And then we began to collect. And Ann and I were driving back north. And I said this, did you realize what had to take place in order for that conversation to take place? I said, we went searching for a wallet. We started at TJ Maxx. They didn't have one. Coles didn't have one. We worked our way down to Walmart. And then we got a stool. And then I forgot. And the Spirit reminded me. I said, God had teed up this conversation that this 13-year-old boy would just collide with me in the wallet section at the certain same time that I was there. And he had a dad that just passed away two months ago. And he's asking the question, wondering where his dad was. And the Lord let our past collide in a Walmart to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And I wonder this. I wonder how many opportunities that God has teed the ball up. Just like you do a golf ball and you tee it up and you try to hit it right down the fairway, right down the middle. I wonder how many opportunities that God has teed the ball up for you and for me. And he's brought, because God draws, he's brought these people in our lives. But we are so busy running from point A to point B that we don't even see the opportunity that's in front of us. And God's saying, just, just flush it right down the middle of the fairway. 300-yard drive, I've already teed it up for you. Let me ask this question. How many of you, got up this morning and asked this question. Lord, give me an opportunity, please. Would you give me an opportunity to lead someone to Christ today? How many of you woke up thinking, 
that this could be the day that I could share. How many of you woke up thinking, well, I'm going to the 1145 service because we can eat breakfast, we can sleep in, we can catch sports, we can do this, and afterwards we can do this. How many of you have already charted out your plans after this day but have neglected to stop and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do after church? How many of you bypassed the ball that's been teed up, opportunities out here in the foyer, in the north foyer, maybe in the parking lot for people who don't even know Christ here, and the Lord is saying, open your eyes. There's an opportunity to share Jesus. Jesus has already prepared the way. And not only has he prepared the way, he's already prayed the way, and he's asked for your protection to share the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and look at verses 11 through 17. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. Just keep it up until he gives it to you. But turn to John chapter 17, and I ask you to stand as we read verses 11 to 17. John chapter 17, verses 11 to 17. And as you're standing with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 17, I want you to look at something. If you have a hard copy in your Bible, if you have a mobile device, I want you to look at something. At the beginning, have been inserted the sequence of events that you're about to read about. And in John 17 and verse 1, right at the top, it says, Jesus prays to be glorified. Then right above John chapter 17 and verse 6 is, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then right above John chapter 17 and verse 20, it says, Jesus prays for all believers. And then in chapter 18, what is the next event after Jesus prays? Jesus is what? What's your Bible say? Is arrested. So I want you to think about the context from which this is taking place. This is Jesus' last conversation. This is Jesus saying, see you later, guys. This is his farewell goodbye. This is what he wanted to say to his disciples before he was arrested. This is his last conversation. So they're gathered together. It's a huddle. It's a pep talk. And it turns into a prayer. And right before he's arrested, Jesus says this. So picture, if you can, much like we do. We gather in a circle and someone leads in prayer and they begin to pray. It's Jesus with the disciples and they're hearing these words for the first time. John chapter 17 and verse 11. Here's what Jesus prayed. Let's read this prayer. Chapter 17 verses 11 to 17. Ready, read. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, read it with me. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You may have a seat. So back up again, conversation, placement, it's important. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's with his disciples. They've traveled with him ministry for three years. It's the farewell goodbye. It's the, it's the goodbye. I remember leaving Hagerstown, Maryland when Ann and I felt called to go back to Grace College and seminary and get a degree. And I remember the, the farewell goodbye in the banquet room downstairs. And it was like saying goodbye. Everybody was saying goodbye. They said these words and they prayed. And they gave us gifts and, and we pulled away and never to move back again to Maryland. It was like, we're not coming back. 
We're, we're leaving. We feel called to ministry. And this is Jesus' farewell. And he says this to them. He says, it will be a dangerous place where you are going. But I want you to know that I've prayed for you. And I want you to share what I've been sharing with others. And he says, God, don't take them out of the world, but send them into the world, but protect them when they go there. It's important as we look at this. He doesn't want us to be removed from danger. He wants us surrounded by danger on every side. And Jesus gives his last word and testament, but protect them from the evil one. There it is, friends. That's Jesus' prayer for you. And we're going to see that he has a prayer for us even as he prays for future believers. For the rest of our lives, he wants us to live in the danger zone, as I would say it. In a place where non-believers live, where people don't know Christ. He doesn't want us constantly pulled from those areas. He wants us to send our kids. He wants us to go. He wants you as a single to go, to go and share the gospel so that people can know about him. Every time I think about this, this holy huddle that we're so prone to live in. And by the way, we need to come to church. We need to have gatherings where we study. But many of us keep going to these studies and we keep getting more knowledge and we're educated way beyond our level of beings. Learn more, study more, pray more, 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 more. And we aren't taking what we know and sharing it with people who don't know. And so Jesus said, remove yourselves from these huddles, go out and share just as I have done and you have done with me. I think back to this because there was a man by the name of Homer Bowes who was a pastor of the church, Hagerstown Independent Church, that somehow felt compelled to leave his office after being in a Wednesday night prayer encounter because my mom's name appeared, Bev Brown, with her four kids, doesn't know Christ, she's a single mom, and he left the comfort and the halls of a church to knock on the door of my mom's home and my home to share the gospel. And I think about that again. Had he not gone, I don't know where I would be. But because of him sharing, we ended up in church. And you know the story. We got saved. My siblings got saved. My mom remarried. They got saved. It was because of one man chose to believe that Jesus had prayed, go to a dangerous place, go to a place where people who don't know Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I would say it this way. If you're not fishing, then you're not following God. So he gives these requests and he gives the follow-up. He expects them to be in the world, but he wants to protect them. Hear me out, please. And I say this as kindly as I can. We are prone to run to Christian circles only. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's where we spend our lives and we don't take the gospel, then people will go to hell every single minute of our day. I understand the need for Christian books. I love Christian books. Christian coffee houses, Christian motorcycle clubs, Christian businessmen association, Christian retreat centers, Christian TV. But we need to take what we're learning there and take it out where Christ isn't evident. Jesus is praying, get in the world. In fact, he says... Don't stay here, go there. Evangelism is not a presentation, it's a conversation. Let me help you. So you might say, Pastor Jim, how can I engage people in conversation about Christ? Here's some things that I say when I'm walking up to someone that I don't know and I'm trying to engage them in conversation. I'll begin with this question. Are you connected to a local church? I just ask them, hey, are you connected to a local church anywhere? Have you ever gone to church? 
And so I began to listen. So I'm asking a question, a conversation, and then I'm waiting for a response. I don't try to jump in, but if the Spirit leads, I respond to that. Or I'll ask this question. Lots of talk about Jesus these days. What are your thoughts about Jesus? I tell you what, you ask anyone that, they won't reject you because you're asking them a question. But the answer to that question will tell you where they're at in their relationship with God. Just ask them. Lots of talk about Jesus these days. What's your thoughts on Jesus? And another question I might ask is this. What do you think is on the other side of death? Like when you die and you pass on, what do you think happens when you breathe your last breath? Have you ever walked through a gravesite? What do you think happens to people after their body is buried in the ground? Is there an afterlife? You don't tell them what you think. You ask them what they think. And so you've got this conversation going. Evangelism is a conversation. It's not a presentation. You don't have to be ready to have a 10-step, 20-step. Just listen, talk, converse. We can talk about anything under the sun. But as soon as we talk, have to talk about Jesus, we want to retreat from it. The road is dangerous, Jesus is saying. But if you and I don't go, then who will go? And yes, you will be opposed. Do you ever think about that? Why is it so hard for some of us to talk about Christ? Why do we feel fear when we begin? Like, we could sell anything. We can sell anything on eBay we want. You can sell fidget spinners. You can sell matchboxes. You could send your kids and your daughters out and knock on doors and sell Girl Scout cookies and ask, would you like to buy some? We don't have a problem in the world selling all kinds of products. You can have parties over to your house, invite and sell your products. I mean, the list is long. And you don't have a question getting to the end and saying, hey, would you like to buy some? And you don't feel this unbelievable fear. In fact, you, you, you're hospitable. You bring them into your home. Hey, let's have a party. You serve them some food. You want them to buy their product. We, in the, but the minute we have to share Christ, fear envelops us. And here's why. Jesus doesn't, I mean, Satan does not care if you sell someone a fidget spinner. That's not going to change their life. Satan does not care if you sell them some oils. It's not going to change their life eternally. Satan doesn't care if you sell them your moped. It's not going to change your life. But Satan begins to get disturbed when you talk about Jesus. And the reason you feel fear is because you're opposed so here's what I think, and I'm going to try to help you rethink during this time. If fear begins to envelop you, you've got to pull away and say, oh, 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 Satan's ticked, and it's a chance for me to punch him in the face. It's a chance for me to tell this person about Christ. You see, Satan can't predict the future. He's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. But he is a keen observer of the past, and he is as interested as in that lost soul as you are. And he's been watching him and other people come to Christ, and he's angry, he's mad. And if he sees that person getting close to trusting in Jesus Christ, and you walk in, he will cause distractions. Have you ever tried to share the gospel somewhere, and, and all kinds of noise begins to happen, or a baby begins to cry? Have you ever walked into a place and all of a sudden, you, uh, uh, this distraction, it's, it's the enemy. And so when those distractions come, I think, oh boy, we're about to punch it in the score here. It makes my faith grow when I know I feel fear. Because the reason I feel fear is because the enemy is trying to stop me. And the last time I checked, the word of God says in Romans that no one can stand against our God.
So don't let fear pull you away. Let it push you forward. Seriously, God has already prayed for our protection. Well, give me examples, Jim. How how have people stood? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Here's some examples of how people have stood in the face of adversity. Hebrews chapter 11. And they haven't backed down. They just, they, they believed by faith that this is what God would want them to do. We call it the hall of faith in Roman, or Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 32. And it says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was, t- was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and living in caves and holes in the ground. They were not afraid. And the reason they weren't afraid is because God had prayed through Jesus for their protection. So please, don't pull away. Jesus says, go where people need Christ. And Paul says it this way, to live as Christ and to die is gain. There are people crying for answers to keep them from an eternity of hell. And if we don't let our two worlds collide, our cultures collide, the, the worldly culture and the godly culture, if we don't enter the danger zone, then people will die and go to hell. 30 million people will die in 2018, 2019, and 2020 and go to hell. 30 million people die every year not knowing Christ. Does it even bother you? Jude 23, verse 23 says this, snatch others from the fire and save them. Paul said this, he was so disturbed and so in anguish, Romans chapter nine, just listen, listen to this. Paul said this about people who didn't know Christ. He said, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. I mean, that's a passion for lost people. He said, God, if I could be cursed and cut off from you, I am willing to forfeit my eternal life so that my family and relatives can know you. Now that's someone who has an unceasing sorrow for lost people. John and I this weekend drove to Cleveland for some board meetings with the national ministry. And so we went to Cleveland and on our way there, we got in around nine o'clock or 9.15, 9.30, walked up to the counter and this guy came in. So we're thinking about who we can talk to. And so we come to the counter, we soon found out his name was Vicka. So I'm always looking for questions. So I ask questions, hey, Ask him his name. His name was Vicka. Ask him how he got here. Then we ask him where he came from. And he says, by the way, he says, I'm from Philly. Or I spent time in Philly. He's like, holy cow, there's John. And so they asked John, where, where would John? He said, we're at in Philly. And John said, he knew exactly where it was at. John told him where he was from. It's like, God, you're setting something up here. You're teeing up the ball. It's obvious. And then he went on to say, we asked him some more questions. And I said, are there any churches in the area around here? And he said, yeah, there's one down 
the interstate down here, and I realized he was talking about a Christian church. And I said, do you go to that church? Oh, no. He's, I said, well, what do you believe? He said, well, I'm Hindu. I said, was there a place where you worship? He said, no, I haven't really got connected. So we began to talk and told him why we were there, why we were there, and, and talked about God, did some God talk to him, and he gave us our rooms. And so the next day when we went into meetings, I shared this story about us having the opportunity. I said, man, we're on mission. Wouldn't it be a shame if all these Christians come to Cleveland, stay in this hotel, and no one hears about Jesus Christ? That would be a travesty, wouldn't it? It'd be a travesty if Grace Community stayed here and no one heard about Jesus. It'd be a travesty if you left here and didn't tell anybody about Jesus after hearing this message. That's a travesty. So I shared, and so follow up, our whole board was staying there. There's 12 to 15 of us. So follow up one morning, Ed Lewis, some of you know Ed Lewis, president of CE National. He can engage Vicka. And so he began to talk to him and he found out that Vicka was leaving in one or two weeks and going to Canada. And not only was he going to Canada, he, he was going to work with Hampton Inn where we were staying at. So the conversation continued, and Ed said, after I got done talking to him, he came around the counter and gave me a hug, this Indian hugged Ed Lewis. Why? Because he saw something in these people that was attractive. I say all this to say this. That conversation that John and I had at that counter would have never happened hadn't God orchestrated. You see, we were supposed to go to Philadelphia. And the board meetings were turned within the last couple months. And the location was just reserved for Cleveland. And you know why I believe it happened? Because God wanted us to talk to Vicka. Do you believe that, by the way? You see, God is teeing up opportunities for you and me, and they're all around us. And maybe you walked by him in the hallway today, and maybe you were so on mission to go to a board meeting or go to work, and God is saying, I am working behind the scenes. I'm changing these plans. And think about this. Vicka is going to Canada in a week, and had we not met there, he would have never heard the gospel, and now the gospel is planted in his heart. And here's what I know to be true. People come to Christ, the average times they hear the gospel is seven times. So I think, wow, he's already heard it two times, five more times, he's going to trust in Jesus Christ. You see, we always have opportunities. And when you pull away and think every conversation could be a divine appointment, we live differently because we could push someone to a place where they trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, we must not run from darkness Maybe instead of praying only for safety for our children, we need to pray for boldness for our children. And maybe not just pray for boldness for our children, but pray for boldness for our parents. Because as parents, we don't let our kids go. We're afraid. You can't go there. They don't know Christ. And so, yes, there's protective measures. There's circles. But at some point, our kids need to be on mission because if their friends don't hear about Christ, who will tell them? Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4.14. If you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. So every time I'm insulted or rejected, I think, boy, I must have got blessed because the spirit of God must rest on me. I have read probably as much as any 56-year-old has read on evangelism. I have a passion to see people come to Christ. I have, anytime a new book comes out, I try to read it. And probably, as I see this, I read recently, it disturbed me in a book. And this book said that you can share the gospel of Jesus too early with people. And this person's premise was this, that don't share the gospel too soon. 
Let them get an understanding of who God is before you share the gospel. And I think, how can you get an understanding of God without sharing the gospel? And then they said, if you share God too soon, you commit spiritual abortion on people. Are you kidding me? And I just say, praise God that Mabel Huff, when I was five years old, committed spiritual abortion on me. Praise God that she shared the good news of Jesus Christ. We're afraid, and we have all kinds of excuses. And then we think, well, they'll they'll know we're Christians. They'll come to Christ by the way we live. Sure, we're salt and light. We should live Christ in front of others. And sure, people are predestined. They're elected from the foundation of the world. But somehow in that process, God uses us to be the messenger of truth, and we speak. It takes us to complete his will. And so there's this picture that we must be sharing with them along the way. It's dangerous out there. Can I ask you a question? Like, you don't need to raise your hand. Who's the last person you led to Christ? Not did a Bible study, but led to Christ. Who is the last person? I know that God draws. I know God elects. I know the Spirit seals and justifies. I I understand. But who was the last person that you were with and they prayed to receive Jesus Christ? How long has it been? The answer to that question might be indicative of how often you share. You see, if you're not throwing seed, then how can you expect something to grow? The more often you throw the seed, the better chance people are going to respond to the gospel and grow. Then Jesus says this in verse 20. He's in a huddle. He prays for them. And in verse 20, look what he says in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will what? What's the word? Oh, come on, come on, come on. Back it up, verse 20. 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will what? In me through their what? Okay, I need help over here. I know you got Bibles. Just help me out. I'm the teacher. I'm just trying to get some, 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 some feedback from you. I'm going to do it again one more time. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will what? In me through their what? Okay, here's Jesus. What's he doing? He has already prayed for you and me. What do I mean by that? He's saying, I'm praying for those who will come to Christ as a result of you sharing. He's already prayed for future believers' protection. Jesus has already prayed for you to go to the danger zone. He's praying for future believers. But you know what? We still have our excuses. Here's the excuses. This is what I found to be true as I've talked with people. Here's an excuse. You have a fear of being rejected. I want to ask you a question. So you're saying you have a friend or a coworker that you'll work with 20 years or have a friend, you would rather spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60 years on earth with this friend and never tell them about Christ and ask them if they want to trust in Jesus. You would rather have spent 50 years with them or 10 years with them or five years with them than to tell them about Jesus and to have them burn in hell for eternity. You would say, yeah, yeah, we had some good times. I... I hung out with them for 10 years. They were my good friend. I never shared Christ. I was feared. They, you would rather not be rejected on earth than have your friend spend their eternity in hell. 
What kind of friend is that? What kind of friend are you that won't share the God? What kind of friend has their friend die, go to hell, because you refuse to share the good news of Jesus Christ? That's not a friend. I don't want a friend like that. I don't want a friend that hangs out with me, does dinner with me, plays ball with me, goes somewhere with me, helps me out, builds my house, comes over and gives me a ride somewhere, cries on my shoulder, but never tells me about Jesus. What kind of friend doesn't tell their friend about Jesus Christ? You're not a friend. You're an acquaintance. So that's an excuse. You're afraid of rejection. Or here's another excuse. I don't know how to, Pastor Jim. I don't know how to share the gospel. Now, what I say that, didn't someone lead you to Christ? What was it about what they said that caused you to come to Christ? Just repeat the process. Or, they have already heard. Like, they've already heard. Or, here's a better one. Well, they're, they're elected, so they'll just come to Christ on their own. No, no. If they've already heard, the statistics show that it takes seven conversations for someone to come to Christ. Your conversation could be the conversation that leads them to Christ. You know, I'm never disappointed. I'm not disappointed when I walked away from Skyler. John and I weren't disappointed when we walked away from Vicka because here's what we knew. Every conversation and every time a person hears about Christ, it pushes them one step closer to the seven. So I walk away, like John and I, maybe that's the first time that guy heard. That's one. Ed, two. Like we walked away and said, cha-ching, he's two steps closer to seven. It's always a win when you share Christ. Or here's another one. I don't know enough about God to do that. I don't understand the Bible enough, and I don't know enough, and so I can't share the gospel. You have a testimony. What's your story? How'd you come to Christ? Just tell your story. And let God do the saving, because he's already done that. He's already drawing Or, I can't answer that question. I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question and I won't have an answer. Guess what? They ask me stuff and I don't have the answer. And you know what I say? Hey, let me get back to you. What's your phone number? All of a sudden, you got their number. Hey, and can I text you later some information? And so you know what you do? You go back and you find out the information and then you call up your friend who calls up their friend. Hey, guess what? I had this conversation with this stranger and they've asked me to give this. Will you pray? 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 And now you're going back with an army of people who have prayed. Now you're going back with an answer. Now you're not standing alone. Not only has God prayed for it, Jesus prayed for it, but you got all your brothers and sisters and friends and now you're walking in confidence and now you have an answer. Jesus said, get in the world to park our homes, our vocations, our businesses, our shopping centers, our vacations, and our lives right where people are who don't know Christ. If I hear one more time from someone that I got to get out of this job and this workplace because it's all it has is unbelievers. And man, I can't stand the cussing. I will scream. Like, I want to say, praise God. Look where you're at. (laughs) They need Jesus. Yeah, but Pastor Jim, you don't understand. They cuss. Yes, I do. I work construction. I played on sport teams. 
Secular sport. I know how dudes talk. But I'm there to tell them that they got hope in Jesus Christ. And if, if I'm in a place where they're unsaved people, like, oh, Jesus has already prayed for me. He's prayed for my protection. I'm right in the center of God's will. You see, Jesus' prayers carry some weight, don't you think? James said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. King James, I can't think of a more righteous, fervent prayer than Jesus. And he prayed for your protection. You see, the problem is this. Is how much do you trust God with your own life? You see, I have a goal in mind. Here's my goal. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Here's a goal that I have when I talk to someone who doesn't know Christ. My goal is to have them walk away to doubt a little bit in what they believe. That's all. Like, if, if I can cause them to doubt just a little bit in what they believe, then I feel like I've accomplished my mission. So I have a goal. And my goal is pretty simple. And I'll ask some questions. And here's one of the questions I'll ask. I'll listen and I'll say, what do you mean by that? So they might say, well, I believe in God too. And I'll say, what do you mean by that? And I'll just listen. I won't come back and say, that's not what I believe. I'll just listen. I'm gathering information. And then I'll ask this question. How do you know that to be true? Like, they'll give me a, like, like I'll even say, like, I, I like to learn from you. Like, I'm a lifelong learner. Like, how do you know that to be true? And so I'll take an information. I'm not coming back with what... I know, I'm not, it's not combative, it's just, it's a conversation. And then another question I'll ask is this, where do you get your information? I'll ask them, like, where, where'd you learn that? Where'd you get that information? See what I'm doing? I'm gathering information, and I'm just listening. I'm not coming back, I'm not being defensive, I'm taking it in, because I'm building, thinking, oh, they got it here, they believe this because of that. And then I'll ask this question. It's usually my last question, and I'll say this. What if you're wrong? What if you spent your whole life believing something that's not true? What's the worst case scenario for you? Have you ever thought that you could be wrong? And then I'll close up with this thought. I'll say eternity is a long time to live. Make sure you get it right. Eternity is a long time to live. Make sure you get it right because it impacts your life forever. And then I'll walk away. You see what happens? It causes them to think, what if I'm wrong? If I'm wrong, then what he's saying could be true. And if what he's saying is could be true, then... I could live the rest of my life away from God in hell. See, I have goals, there's intentions, there's, I'm thinking about that. We have to be intentional. You see, as soon as you talk about Jesus, you will be opposed. Accept that as a reality. In the book of Acts, the early church, when it began, it never prayed for safety. Just look at the book of Acts. Acts 4.29, Acts 27.25, Acts 27.22, Acts 23.11, Acts 4.13. They always prayed for boldness and courage. 
You see, removing ourselves undermines the will of God. If we remove ourselves from the world and we don't send our families out and us out, then who will ever tell them? You can never influence your world from the outside in only. You will never engage your culture unless you get inside. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, that we're supposed to be salt and light, and light shines best in darkness. So what can you learn on the other side of sharing? These are my own personal thoughts, and you might have a thousand more. But here's what I found to be true when you share your faith. Here's what I found. I need to hear the gospel often too. Like, when I share the gospel, it's good for me. It's good for me to be reminded that we have a God of grace. That there's nothing I could ever do that would cause him to reject me. Like, even when I'm sharing the gospel, I'm reminding myself. And it's like, Jim, that's good to repeat the gospel to yourself daily, isn't it? That God's grace is good. And it's all his work. And it's not by works that we're saved. It's by grace through faith. And when I speak that out, I walk away and say, wow, thank you, God. It's good to repeat the gospel to yourself daily. Here's what else I know to be true. What I learn on the other side. God could use you to reach someone that reaches thousands for Jesus. Ever thought about that? Do you know Billy Graham's story, by the way, who has reached millions, multi-millions of people? You know how he came to Christ? Billy Graham went to a youth group service, wanted to go to a youth group service, and they didn't let him come because they said he was too worldly. (laughs) Billy Graham, you're too worldly, Billy. You can't come to our youth group. And so he went home, the story says, that there was a farmhand that worked on the farm where the Graham farm was, and he heard the story, and this farmhand that we never hardly ever hear of, but you hear of Billy Graham, his name was Albert McMakin. He worked on the Graham farm, and he persuaded Billy as a teenager to go see the evangelist Mordecai Ham. And when he went to Mordecai Ham, Mordecai Ham shared the gospel, and Billy was saved. But it was because of Albert McMakin saying, Billy, Your soul is worth it. Go talk to this guy. And because he did, one person was saved and millions were. You know what else you learn? Your faith grows on the other side. I cannot tell you how often you get to the other side. It's like, wow, Lord, I cannot believe you're still doing this. Like, that's awesome. People said that dude would never, people said that addiction would never be overcome. I heard a story today back in the bullpen of a man that just finished Fight Club, this chapter. And he had been struggling with alcohol. And he came to know Jesus Christ at our Christmas services. And so he longed to overcome alcohol. And so he tried to do Fight Club, two or three chapters, but each time the addiction overtook him. Because when you come to Christ, not everything is cleaned up. It's a sanctifying process, the progressive sanctification. So he tried again, third time, fourth time. And Wednesday was the last day of Fight Club. And this brother in Christ is now 90 days sober. (laughs) But why? Because someone invited him to church. And you know who that someone was? L.V. Yoder. He coached ball with his boys and encouraged him, come, come to church. They kept coming after him and he finally came. 
And he came on a Christmas morning and he gave his life to Christ. And now he has overcome alcohol addiction in Jesus' name. Your faith grows when you share your faith. What else happens? Families are restored and lives are changed. You know what else I've known to find to be true? When you share your faith, you take your eyes off of your own problems. <laughs> Poor me, so horrible. Look at my life. And, and all of a sudden, your whole life changes when you're sharing your faith because you realize that the most important thing in the world is someone's soul being saved, not your sickness, not what you're trying to overcome, but people need to be saved from the pit of hell. And when they come to Christ, all of a sudden you're filled with joy that wasn't there before. And sickness is lifted and depression is often lifted because you've seen a modern day miracle in front of you. You take your eyes off of you and you look at the world. You know what else I found to be true? When you get to the other side, you stop being afraid of dying. Like, I'm not afraid of dying. Because I've spoken the gospel so much to myself and to others, and I've watched change life. It's like, and I tell them often, hey, guess what? Not only do you have eternal relationship with Jesus on earth and he'll help you through life, but you'll have eternity in heaven forever. And when you continue to tell yourself that and you speak the gospel daily to yourself and to others, you know what happens? You're no longer afraid of death. Why? Because when I die, I see Jesus. <laughs> and here, you know what else I know? Yes, my wife would, would miss me. And our children would miss me. But you know what? I'm okay. You know why? Because God has already prayed for their protection. <laughs> and lastly, I would say this. Your fire for Jesus stays hot when you share your faith. Are you feeling kind of down? and you feeling like people aren't seeing you? and Are you feeling sorry for yourself? And are you feeling kind of dry? Are you feeling kind of distant from God? Start sharing your faith. Start sharing your faith. Start sharing your faith. Start sharing your faith. And when you begin to continue, share your faith and get to the other side, your fire for Jesus gets hot because you have just thrown gas on the flame. I like getting the opportunity to punch Satan in the face. <laughs> I want to close with this thought. Who do you think God has in your pathway this week that he wants you to share the gospel with? And follow, will you? I challenge you this week to memorize John 3.16 if you don't know it. And I challenge you this week just like I challenged men last week. Go to a stranger and say, hey, I got this verse, John 3, 16. And I'm part of this group of people who call themselves Christians. And we've been asked to share this verse with someone we don't know. Can I share this verse with you? And be prepared to have a conversation. Well, Lord, help us today. I pray, God, that you would light a fire in our hearts I pray, God, that we would be a church that's known for loving you where Jesus is at the center. I pray, God, that we would throw away our excuses. We would leave our holy huddles. We don't need another Bible study. We need to be sharing our faith. I pray, God, in those areas where the fear once enveloped, I pray that we would recognize that's a good thing. That person must be getting close. 
to Jesus because I'm being opposed. Oh God, light a fire in our hearts, please. Now, I want to speak to you today. Those of you who are in the South Auditorium and here in the North Auditorium and, and the internet, I don't make assumptions that you know Jesus. And wouldn't it be a travesty if you left here learning how to share about Jesus and didn't know Jesus? I don't want you to leave. I don't want to stand before God one day and have people say, I went to Grace Community Church and never had a chance to trust in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're in this service, and can you think back to a time where you surrendered your life fully to Jesus, where you trusted him, and you, you repented of your sin, and, and you can go back and say, there is a timestamp on my calendar where I was saved. Listen, if you have any reservation, if you don't know that you know that you know, don't leave this room because Jesus is good. He's the best gift you could ever receive. He came for your life to give you hope in this life and hope in eternity. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jim, I don't know that I've ever trusted in Jesus, but I want to today. You know what's going to happen? You're going to join many others who already done in the first and second service who trusted in Jesus. If you want to know Christ personally and hear and experience and have a God that will never leave you nor forsake you and that will be your go-to who will protect you, then I want you to do something. I want you to confess with your mouth what your heart is asking for. And we do that through prayer. So I want you to quietly pray with me, saying, Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And I'm need, in need of being saved. Please, forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. And I trust in you, Jesus, and the work of the cross. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. You see, here's what I know to be true. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus didn't make it difficult. It's free. And if you trusted in Jesus and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe he was raised from the dead, the Bible says you are saved eternally. Eternally. If you trusted in Christ today, would you do something for me? We have our heads bowed. I just, I just want to know. Would you just slide your hand up in this room and just say, Pastor Jim, today was the day for me. I know now. Just, just hold your hand up. Don't be afraid. Just hold it up. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, all across this room are new believers. Oh God, never, may we never shut our mouths. May we always be ready and willing to share the gospel. And Lord, I pray for these dear brothers and sisters. Oh God, empower them in ways they've never been empowered. Give them hope in their hopelessness. I pray for your favor and blessing on their lives. Thank you for their courage to step out. Thank you, God that you allowed this service to happen and you allowed this message to happen 
and you allowed me to be a messenger so that these dear brothers and sisters could trust in you and have saving faith forever. Oh God, may we never lose that heartbeat. May we always keep you at the center. And may we be a church that's known for loving Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.